Six years ago, we introduced a statement that we uh, hope and praise at the heart of everything we do as a congregation. That's certainly our aim. You can call it a vision statement if you like, but we felt the need to have something that um, expresses what we long to be, um, what we long to embody as a community, something that sums us up that could be a common language for our community. For the glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass. Chances are, if you've been around our church at all, you have heard it many times. Uh, It's become a social media hashtag. It has inspired some really cool artwork um, that I've gotten to see. We start a conference around the theme. um, Several of you have gotten tattoos with it. Um, On several occasions, I've had other churches contact me, reach out to me, and, and say... Uh, just to let me know that they've stolen it and applied it to their context. So it's been great to watch it take off. Uh, but what does it even mean? It's, it's easy, very easy. Anybody um, would know this and maybe in your company or workplace or whatever leadership position you might be in. It's very easy for a vision statement to become a glib tagline with no real meaning or impact. And from the beginning, we have fought that tendency here at TCPC. And one of the main ways we try to fight that is by returning to our vision every year at the beginning of the year. This serves a little bit as the beginning of the church year. Um, We follow probably the, the school calendar more than the normal calendar. And so this feels like the beginning of the year. And so we always conclude uh, the summer and get ready for the fall by returning again to unpack its meaning and once again embrace its calling. So we are at the beginning of new year and it's time to reorient ourselves around our vision. Now many of you have uh, come to us within this past year. This is the first time you've heard this unpack. Some of you have been here for all six years and uh, you've heard it um, talked about a lot. But in both cases, we are here to reorient ourselves around a simple yet profound statement, the glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass. This week, we will dwell on the first half of our vision that Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. Next week, we will look at the second half and the good of the bluegrass. This week, the glory of Christ. As many of you know, I said last week, um, I was honored to get to Uh, Spend three weeks with my family in uh, Europe and the United Kingdom uh, doing a preaching and preaching and teaching um, kind of really all all across the United Kingdom. But we also, of course, got to uh, got to do some vacationing together. And and that was fun. Um, You know, I've had many people ask, how how did the kids do? The kids did great. It was fine. Uh, I, I think I think in 10 years, they would really love a trip like that. Uh, this year, they were struggling with just how amazing this is and me trying to get them to appreciate how amazing this is. You know how this goes, parents, that uh, you, you're taking them on these things and it's not landing on them like you want it to land on them and you're getting frustrated with them and you start threatening that they will have fun or they will get in trouble. Uh, that happened at one point. I was at this site and it was, this, uh, it was this historical site where the first Presbyterian martyr uh, was burned at the stake, and I was explaining the whole, which is, uh, maybe that shouldn't have done that, but 
but I was explaining the whole history behind it, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, I said, if you don't appreciate this, I'm going to punish you. <laughs> to which, um, so our missionary partner in Scotland, uh, you've, you've met him before, his name's Andy, Andrew Longway. He's our partner. He's been over here. He comes for the Go to Bluegrass Conference every year and preaches. Last time he was in town, um, he told my boys that... Um, he said, you know, in Scotland, it's illegal to spank. Well, um, and I don't know what you think about it. I'm, I'm, if you, I don't know your opinion on spankings. I, I, I don't know. It's just, if you're against it, you can come try to raise my four boys for a little while and see how that goes. <laughs> uh, but we land in Scotland as if he has been waiting for this moment. We land in Scotland, Scotland get off the plane, walking down the terminal, and Charlie turns to me and says, you know it's illegal now. <laughs> True story. So I don't know how much I could punish them for not appreciating, but he'd been sitting on it. But this frustration of trying to get them to appreciate what they're experiencing the worst happened when we spent a couple of days in Paris and we, we were going to do the Louvre. And, and uh, it, it, I, right before we went there, um, we went to McDonald's, which is the most un-Paris thing to do. But we went to McDonald's and he got, our kids got the McDonald's Happy Meal toy. And the entire time we are touring the Louvre, I'm trying to get them to stop playing with a cheap McDonald's Happy Meal toy and appreciate what they are experiencing. It's one thing to not be able to understand and appreciate it, I get it with kids. It's another thing when the glory is replaced by a McDonald's Happy Meal toy. It was the embodiment of C.S. Lewis's weight of glory that you've heard many times, that we are like ignorant children who want to go about making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by our offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Taste Creek Presbyterian Church exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is built upon a belief, a strong conviction that Jesus Christ is glorious, the greatest glory, indeed the source of all glory, such that every glory that you behold is a faint echo of his glory, and yet tragically, his glory is being ignored. Not just ignored, but even worse, replaced. Fallen human history is ignoring the Louvre for cheap Happy Meal toys. Our purpose as a church, before anything else that we do, is to be a place that refuses to allow the glory of Jesus to be ignored both in the life of our congregation and in the life of the community where God has placed us. We exist as a signpost pointing to the truest glory, an invitation announcing to everyone who comes in contact with TCPC to forsake silly little lesser glories and discover the glory for which you are made. And our passage this morning is going to validate that vision. Every year, I'm always trying to think of a different way to express what we mean by this. And this year, I thought of one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I've actually preached this passage before 
uh, years ago, but I want to return to it in light of our desire to be a congregation that exists first and foremost for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want to use this little exchange that Joshua has with the pre-incarnate Jesus to explain what it looks like to be a church that exists for the glory of Christ. And to do that, I want to answer two questions this morning. Very simple. Who is God for and what does God want? Who is God for? Now, for our purposes this morning, it is not absolutely crucial that you understand the whole backstory. So I'm not going to go there, but let me give you a brief context here. The nation of Israel is being led by Joshua, and they are on the cusp of the land promised to them by God. But standing in their way is the mighty city of Jericho. Jericho was legendary for its military power and its massive impenetrable walls. And so here is Israel, this ragtag group of weary wanderers facing mighty Jericho, armed only with the promise that God gave them centuries before. And Joshua, their leader, is alone surveying Jericho, checking this out, undoubtedly thinking to himself, how is this even possible? And that is where we are in this story. Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. For the sake of time, I'm just going to go straight to what this is. This is what theologians refer to as a Christophany, A Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. What we see throughout the story of Scripture is Jesus manifesting himself in different ways prior to his ultimate manifestation when he took on flesh. So Joshua doesn't know it, but he is in the actual presence of the second person of the triune God, the eternal Son of God. And this is his response. Joshua went up to him and said... Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, this is the leader of God's people. Joshua's the leader of God's people asking God whose side he is on. So the obvious answer is yours, Joshua. I'm on your side. You're my people. I've made promises to you. I've come to fight for you. But look at his answer. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14. He said, no. No. Kind of an answer is no. That doesn't make sense. And the reason why that answer seems awkward to us is because to us, in our minds, there are only two options here. But God says no because to him there's another option. I'm not for either of you. I'm for me. Look at what he says. No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I'm not here for them. I'm not here for you. I'm here in the name of the Lord. What if the lens by which we viewed everything was distorted? What if the truest perspective is a perspective that we don't naturally have? The Bible claims that this is so. The Bible claims that this thing called sin has disoriented us, has fundamentally distorted us in our perspective such that our view of reality is actually lying to us. 
The natural way we view things is a wrong way to view things. And that wrong way to view things in general is a man-centered perspective and in particular is a me-centered perspective. So we ask questions like, are you for me or my adversaries? Because to us, those are the options. But the Lord says, no, I don't accept that premise. There's another way to view things, and it is a God-centered way of viewing things. A view which claims he isn't primarily for you or me or TCPC or your culture or your tribe or your political persuasion or your country. He's for himself. Putting it as bluntly as I can, in everything, God is motivated by his own love for his own glory. He is for himself above all else. I'll take it even further. He loves himself above all else. Now, that claim is historically orthodox, but it may come across to you on wrong, as wrong on so many levels this morning. We have to fight to see things differently. We have to abandon the perspective that starts with us as the center of everything. It is wrong for me to do all things for my glory. But I'm not God. There is only one existence where self-promotion and self-exaltation and self-worship is virtuous. And this is, of course, God. Put it another way. For me to love anything more than God is wrong. And we call that idolatry. Well, likewise, for God to love anything more than God would be idolatrous. When you're God, self-exaltation is not idolatrous. It is virtuous. So he can and he must be for his own glory even above you. Now that paradigm shift might strike you as offensive, especially if you're not used to a big God theology, but it is actually the most beautiful realization that you can come to. It may feel good and even loving for me to proclaim to you a God that is all about you first and foremost, especially in a culture that trains you to believe it is all about you first and foremost. But in reality, that is not what you need. You're great, but you're not that great. And to offer you a God that is all about you may draw a crowd, but that is a destructive gathering because that God is not enough. He is trite, he is shallow, he is weak, he is not worthy of your life, your allegiance, and you will leave him, especially when things get tough and he doesn't seem to be acting in accordance with what you have been told that he's all about you. If I were to stand here and give you a God that's all about you, well, when it's clearly not about you, you will leave that God. But if you behold him as he is, then he becomes eternally captivating, worthy of your life, your death, and your everlasting worship. T. 
TCPC is here to do our best to make sure that happens. We exist to lift before you a God who is greater than any glory you could possibly imagine. That he is greater than your wealth and your possessions and any experience that money can buy you. That he is greater than marriage. He is greater than spouse. He is greater than children. He is greater than grandchildren. He is greater than career and power and fame and entertainment and sex. We exist to proclaim to you and to the bluegrass the greater story to lift this community's eyes off of McDonald's Happy Meal toys and say, behold the Mona Lisa for which you were made. To do that, we have to be honest. We have to be honest with who he truly is. And he is a God who when asks, are you for me or them, says no. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I'm for me. Who is God for? Himself. Now, let's answer the other question of the text, which is our application. What does God want? So that's who he's for. Well, what does he want in response to that? Continue on with verse 14. And notice Joshua's response here. This is fascinating. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? What does God want in response to his glory? First and foremost, that reaction right there. Do you see the stark difference? Whereas before, Joshua was coming up to him and questioning him, now Joshua is prostrate on the ground in worship. Whereas before, Joshua asks, are you for us or for our adversaries? Now Joshua humbly asks, what does my Lord say to his servant? He's come undone, and his perspective has completely changed. And so before anything else, this is what we want to be as a local church. When we say we exist for the glory of Christ, we're saying, what does our Lord say to his servants? Not what do we want, not what are our ambitions, not what are our preferences. What do you want, God? We do not exist for our own ambition, our own brand. We do not exist to build a big church. We do not exist to conquer the world. We do not exist to meet anyone's needs or anyone's preferences. We exist for the glory of Christ, which means we exist to submissively and humbly bow down before him in worship like Joshua and ask with one corporate voice, what does our Lord say to his servants? But it doesn't stop there. He actually answers Joshua's question. You know, if you thought his first answer was strange, where Joshua says, are you for us or our adversaries? And he says, no. Look at this one. Look at verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy. Now remember the scene, okay? The backdrop is the enormous fortified city of... Um, that Joshua and the people of God have the impossible task of conquering. But Joshua now recognizes that God has come to him dressed for battle, declaring himself to be the commander of the Lord's army. And so Joshua rightly says to him, okay, well, you tell us what to do, Lord. In other words, whoa, whoa, forgive me. Wrong question. I get it now. You tell me what to do about Jericho. And God says, take off your shoes. He has no strategy for 
Jericho. In fact, he seems indifferent to Jericho. Of much greater concern for God are Joshua's sandals. And the message is this. Jericho, you think that little city is a scary sight? You are standing in the presence of God. You better take your shoes off. You see, when we recognize that God is a God whose greatest concern is His glory and does all things for His glory, the first response to that reorientation should honestly be fear and trembling. Because if His glory is His highest concern, then we must then ask ourselves this scary question, well, do I glorify God? The Bible says no. That's what this thing called sin is. It is a failure to glorify the God who is ultimately concerned with his own glory. Or as Paul says, it is to fall short of the glory of God. I don't glorify God. I defame God. And this is no small thing to a God who is eternally obsessed with his own glory. This is the severity of sin, people. That a God exists for his own glory, and I happen to fall short of that glory. You see, in the same way that we glorify the wrong things, we fear the wrong things. Joshua is making the same mistake. He's obsessing over Jericho when holiness is before him. He is fearing the wrong thing. And God is saying, don't you know where you're standing? Don't you know where you, you, you who fall short of God's glory are standing before the glory of God? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And yet something peculiar then happens next. Joshua does this. The story concludes. Chapter 6 is what? It's the fall of Jericho. And then the last verse of chapter 6 says this. So the Lord was with Joshua. Okay, remember the first question he asked. Who are you for? Me or the adversaries? The Lord was with Joshua. And then look at this one. And his fame... Joshua's glory was in all the land. Now, hold on. I thought God was for himself, not Joshua. And yet he was with Joshua and defeated his adversaries. I thought God was for his own glory, and yet it says that Joshua's fame went out into all the land. So Joshua has this encounter with the true heart of God... But when God acts, it seems to be the opposite of what Joshua encountered. And this is a seeming contradiction that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. A God who is for himself and his own glory, and yet a God who acts for sinners who fall short of his glory. Which is it? Well, it all comes together when the Jesus who is before Joshua as a manifestation becomes the Jesus who is before us all in the incarnation. There is a reason why we say we exist for the glory of Christ. 
That's just a more specific, nuanced way of saying we exist for the glory of God because Jesus is the fullest of the glory of God. In fact, he is described as the radiance of God's glory. The God who exists for his own glory literally put flesh and bones on his glory. And what do we see when we look at the glory of God in Jesus? What we see is that it seems like God's glory is his humility. The gospel means good news. And this is the good news. The God who does all things for his own glory has chosen his grace, his love, his mercy, his self-sacrifice to be the fullest expression of his glory. What makes him so glorious is that in Jesus, he sets aside his glory to save those who are against his glory. And that is why he is so glorious. And so this is what happens in the gospel. He is no longer this transcendent God obsessed with his glory, demanding us to exist for his glory. He is a humble God who lays aside his glory to woo us, to love us, to entice us, to captivate us, to capture us by the glory of his grace so that our joy, our delight is now his glory. Those are two different ways for a God to seek his own glory from us. To demand it from afar or to gain it from the cross. And our God has chosen the latter. Isn't he glorious? He is. And that's why we exist for him. Taste Creek Presbyterian Church exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. Or do we? It's one thing to say, it's one thing to put it on a website, it's one thing to put it on letterhead, it's one thing to put it in a bulletin, it's another to be it. And it starts with you, the members. There's something that changed in my kids when we were at the museum. My kids actually forgot about their McDonald's toys and started enjoying the museum. And do you know why? It wasn't because I shamed them. It wasn't because I got angry at them. It wasn't because I disciplined them. You know what happened? I actually started enjoying the museum. I was so obsessed with getting them to behold the glory. I was so obsessed, so frustrated with the fact that they're not beholding the glory, that I myself was not beholding the glory. I was so frustrated with their failure to appreciate it that I myself forgot to appreciate it. And whoa, what a parable is that? In ministry. And I could just become so obsessed with you guys getting it that I'm not getting it. And if I'm not getting it, you ain't going to get it. Or a church who's so obsessed with a culture that's not getting it, a culture that's ignoring Jesus, so fretting over that they're not getting it, that we're not getting it. But the problem is if we're not getting it, they ain't going to get it. And so you know what I did? Eventually I just said to heck with it. I don't care about you kids. I'm going to enjoy this thing. And so I just started doing the museum. And y'all complain and cry. I'm not listening. And I got to this painting that is a sermon in itself. I'm sure I'll come back and use it. I got to this painting where it's, it's the Apostle Peter. 
um, who's, he, his, his head is, is, he's bowing down in shame and there's a rooster over his head just haunting him. And, you, and he's staring down with this rooster, kind of this reminder of his frailty and you know what he's looking at? He's looking at a key. Key to the kingdom of heaven. And I brought my boys over and said, look at this. That's Peter in his weakness with his failure over his head, staring down at the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then we started going painting a painting, looking at details, and they're starting to point out details and all stuff, and all of a sudden we're enjoying it. Because I was enjoying it. Do you want your kids to exist for the glory of Jesus Christ? Do you want your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the bluegrass to be captured by the glory of Jesus? Here's the deal. It's contagious. Let them see it in you. Let them see in a life that in every way exists for the glory of Christ. Here's how. Take the question that Joshua asks God and allow God to ask it of you. Joshua arrogantly comes to God and said, who are you, who you with? Who are you for, me or them? It's actually not a bad question. It's just the wrong person asking it. Let God ask you that question. Whose side are you on? We don't ask God. We allow God to ask us that. Look at every area of your life, your time. If you were to get your schedule out, the way you spend your time and says, who am I for? If you were to get your finances out, let's look at our budgets. Let's look at our savings. Look at it all and say, who am I for? Your speech, your words, your habits, your private life, every area, allow allow God to ask you what Joshua asked God. Whose side are you on? Who are you for? You and your lesser glories or the glory of Jesus Christ? When congregants exist for the glory of Jesus Christ, a congregation exists for the glory of Jesus Christ, and it will become contagious. Let me pray for his help. Lord, we come now to the greatest demonstration of your glory in the sacrament of your sacrifice. Fill us with your glory that it might become contagious. May we ourselves behold you. In Jesus' name, amen.